0: Welcome to the Turn on the Jets post-game report. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. Joined, as always, to wrap up this game, a barn burner at MetLife Stadium. The Jets losing it 44-38 in overtime with Daryl Slater, the great beat reporter from NJ.com and New Jersey Advanced Media. Daryl, this was a thriller down to the end, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, it sure was. It was uh, certainly an eventful game. And Sam Darnold played really well, uh, and uh, Aaron just gets to the edge in the end. But, uh, I mean, the Jets are certainly finding interesting ways to lose and entertaining ways to lose along the way and, and doing some good things along the way. But it's the same old story with their defense wilting well, again. And uh, the same story too last week.
0: You know, Sam Darnold played well, Jets lose. So two weeks in a row, Jets can get what they want in terms of uh, the developing position and also having to talk about Donald. And that's really what's important to most Jets fans at this point, is how well Tim Darnold plays. And he was outstanding today. He wasn't happy with his own performance, though, however, because at the end of the day, he said it was all about wins and losses.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's, that's what you kind of expect him uh, expect the guy competitor to say. But, I mean, he just, I'm looking at it objectively. set the season and yard, the yards, uh quarterback rating, and there's three touchdowns, no interceptions. First time he got back to back games with no picks. I think it was his fourth overall game with no picks. So he's had an interception issues throughout the year, but looks great in that department today. Did a lot of really good things and, uh, making quick decisions. And so a lot to like, no doubt about, uh, about how he performed in this game. Uh, guys, got his lot in the game, uh, in the locker after the game. We're, we're, praising him again, talking about Jermaine Curse saying that he thinks Darnold's going to be a star, and uh, the guys in the locker room are really high on him, and so that bodes well certainly for the future. But as we mentioned, the Jets have a lot of issues. Uh, that They also need to correct beyond just like putting a putting a star running back or a good receiver or a good offensive lineman. But Darnold, there's a lot of issues on the other side of the ball as well.
0: So I guess Donald didn't get the memo about the tanking thing, right? Because he wanted to win this thing. It seemed like, and fans were kind of split on that. The Jets now at number four in the draft order, and we'll get back to that in a second, but Sam Darnold already showing that he's a fierce competitor, and that losing, no matter what his own individual accomplishments are, is not going to be acceptable to him.
1: Yeah, no doubt. I mean, he is. He, I think that's what the are guys say otherwise would be disappointing as a fan. I mean, you want the players to say those sort of things as a fan, certainly, um, but... Oh yeah. I mean, I don't think he, he looks at it as callously, you know, cynically as some fans and reporters do about what's at stake here. I think, you know, he gets disappointed, in and obviously, I know he like, gets disappointed any, any time
0: the team loses. And there's certainly things he could have done better in, in spots, but um, it, it was mainly, look, the Jets' defense again, mainly at fault for you know melting in the fourth quarter again. I mean, a 15-point lead with basically 12 minutes left, and they can't hold on. We're going to get back to the defense and some of the penalties in just a second. But first, sticking with Darnold and Aaron Rodgers, who he played against, my whole rationale for wanting to go to this game was because I felt that this could be a momentous occasion in the sense that Aaron Rodgers might have his very last game at MetLife Stadium against the Jets this day, which is more than likely going to happen because he would be 43 the next time that they would be scheduled to play again at MetLife. And it would be the first and possibly only time that Darnold and Rogers would square off. It sounds like Rogers, who got the best of Darnold this day, which I don't want to rub it in, Daryl, but I did predict that. I said that at the end I thought that it would come down to Rogers. It came down to Rogers and some help from the referees. We'll get to that in a second. But this sort of felt like a fight where the longtime champion is just barely able to hold off the young upstart. But afterwards, the longtime champion says, you know what? One day, this young upstart is going to rule this division. It's not today, but it's going to be soon. And it seemed like Aaron Rodgers had that sentiment about Sam Darnold after the game.
1: Yeah, he praised Sam Darnold, just like J.J. Watt did last week after the Texans beat the Jets. And he said he thinks that just kind of paraphrasing to Donald has a by the future. He he played really well in the game, which of course he did. And then he did a nice job of moving around and uh, and can, moving the pocket. And so Aaron Rodgers is pretty high on what Tim Donald did, and he thinks that this next this group of young quarterbacks in the league could kind of be the next crop of guys, just like his generation, uh, now the, you know, the Rodgers generation. I guess Tom Brady's sort of on the front of that of that generation, but you know, he's just older than Rodgers by a little bit. But uh, but yeah, as Rodgers sort of enters the twilight of his career here, I think he definitely admires what. Cam has in terms of
0: potential. Last thing before we move on to the defense, Darrell, it sure seemed like above all the things that we're saying about how Darnold individually played well, he's really developing a chemistry with some of the pieces on that offense. Elijah McGuire is starting to blossom a little bit, and certainly Christopher Herndon and Robbie Anderson, right? Yeah,
1: Robbie missed 140 yards, kicked off his career high, and uh, he talked a little bit more after the game about what he mentioned lately about how the, the chemistry is, is getting greater each every week with Cam Darnold. And Eli McGuire, of course, with two touchdowns was, was big. And, uh, and Chris Hendon, 82 yards, which is 20 more, I believe, than what he had previously had for his highs, You yeah, know, rookie career, high season, high same deal. Uh, so, some encouraging times there for the Jets with some, some guys who, like, I think Eli McGuire is ultimately a complimentary back. He's not a number one type. Uh, but Hendon I mean, could be a legit tight end for the Jets for years to come, potentially, for a franchise that has not had a legit tight end in quite some time, so. That, that bodes well, and, and as does uh, the fact that Robbie Anderson will be back next year as a restricted free agent, surely. And uh, most, the Jets will see if you know, they can get something done with a long term. if he she's set up straight, and she continues to perform well. With the Robbie Anderson-Donald uh, duo and the dynamic there could be a pr- productive one, and uh, Chris Hunnan as well. You talk about a team that needs to improve its passing game, and there are a couple of young guys there in Anderson and who could really help boost that along with Donald.
0: One guy who may or may not be here long-term, there's been a lot of debate about that, is Leonard Williams because next year is the final year of his contract, his rookie contract, in fact, the five years they had picked up the option, which will pay him about $15 million this year. He didn't do himself any favors today, getting himself ejected. What went on there? Yeah, so Leonard Williams got back his fourth of the year, his 16th of the, his
1: career, I think. I think, when the Jets drafted Leonard Williams, most people figured, and the Jets probably figured, he would have more than 16 sacks through, uh, four years, but here we are. Uh, and then he was ejected from the game here. He had the first half to try to punch of Brad Bulaga, the right tackle for the Packers, who was on the ground, and there was some scrapping after the play, and Leonard, and Leonard Williams said, Bulaga said nothing to him. It was just that the play got a little physical after the whistle, and Leonard Williams let his emotions get the better of him, and he was apologetic after the game, but, you know, he threw a punch, and he got kicked out of the game, which is Kind of uncharacteristic for kind of a mile a guy, but a real low point for what's been a disappointing season. And uh, yeah, we talked about it before. I think the Jets should see what they can get for Ryan Williams because $14.2 million in a fifth-year option, fifth-year next year, is, is too high for a guy who's just not been productive enough as a pass rusher. He's been probably average, to slightly above average. I feel like he's been a terrible player. Uh, but he's not been good enough for the sixth overall pick, and, and especially with getting home on a lot of these sacks. Uh, 16 through four years. So not good enough. Four this year, not good enough. And this is supposed to be a year where he lost and that hasn't happened. And today was a low point for him in terms of, uh, well, yeah, he did have a sack, but in terms of, you know, making just a super decision and not being there for his team down the stretch in the second half and overtime. So I didn't know the Jets should look around, see what they can get for him, and then maybe move him if they can get something good. But, you know, $14.2 million is, is, is a lot. Uh, but the Jets do have the cap space. Uh, you know, they have $106 million in cap space, and Leonard Williams is factored into that, right? So if they cut them, which they probably are not gonna do, probably shouldn't do, to $120 million. So, I mean, how much cap space do you need? When you have that much room already, 14000000 million isn't that much, I guess. Certainly so it would be, uh, a gross overpayment for uh, considering his services so far.
0: Williams got ejected from this game, but he was hardly the only player on the Jets' defense to get himself into some sort of trouble. In fact, that Jets' secondary, which before the season was highly thought of, had a lot of trouble today, especially with penalties. Morris Claiborne, Tremaine Johnson, we saw Buster Screen getting penalties again, and he'd always been known as Buster Screen, the penalty machine. He lived up to that today. So let's talk about that a little bit. First, Darryl, Morris Claiborne. He had some very unkind things to say about the referees, and I have a feeling he's going to get himself another fine.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, Todd Bowles came out in this post-game press conference and just shredded the officiating, so he didn't care if He got fined. The Jets had 60 penalty 172 yards, 172 uh, 72 yards. The penalty yardage count, I believe, was an all-time high for the Jets. Uh, Bowles was furious was about the officiating, and, a guy who usually doesn't say much in his press but there's said so much in this one that it's gonna cost him quite a bit of money. Well, you know, I guess he's gonna he could sit around and do nothing for the next two years and get paid a lot of money. So <laughs> what he's annoying. so he can spare some of that buyout money and get the right to believe. But um but yeah, so Bowles was, was 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 serious about it, went the officiating was basically gave his player's license to be the same and Lawrence Claver called the officiating uh To, I guess, to borrow a line from the Christmas story, except he didn't say crap. Uh, So, uh, I don't know if people are going to get that. I hope people get that. Uh, Such a good movie. But, yeah, so Morris Claiborne came that hard in the officiating. Some of the other guys said they agreed with both criticisms of the officiating, but Morris Claiborne was the most vocal, or at least the most colorful in his language. So, um, yeah. Look, 16 penalties on a 72 yard Yeah, There were some questionable ones, I guess. The, the Jamal Adams pass interference in the end zone was questionable. The, the big one on Tremaine Johnson was not. He pushed him along the sideline, and Bowles was on the opposite sideline, and he ripped that call. I mean, it just comes out as weak, quite frankly. I mean, when you lose that game, to come out so vehemently against the officiating, when you do really have a great view on that call, and then uh, Tremaine Johnson pushed on that play. He definitely pushed. There's no doubt about it, Like, right? I mean, I, unless I... You know, we saw it totally wrong. I think everyone in the press box, good, a decent few of it was in agreement. Bold usually says that on these things, like I got to look at the film, whatever. But um, he did not. Uh, so he just came out guns blazing in the press conference. Players criticized the officiating as well. But sorry, but like, you know, when you knock down like that, it's not all the officiating. When you have 16 penalties for interception yards, it's not all because the officials make like that calls on all of them. I mean, this team does not close out wins. That's on balls. This team gets too many untimely penalties, um, even if some are questionable, and that's on balls. Now, this defense melts late in games. This is the third time in the last four games that they have blown a fourth quarter lead loss. That's almost unfathomable. The fourth time overall of the season. That's on balls. A guy who is supposed to be a defensive minded head coach coming to the Jets, and he hasn't had a good defense since his first year. I've written it, and he said it over and over and over again. You know, unless his defense shows some progress in 2019, it's not going to matter a lick of what Sam Donald has terms of progress. Look at the Packers. They're a terrible year. Aaron Rodgers is really good. He's put up really good numbers. You need to, yes, the quarterback matters, and having a really good quarterback to important, but it's not everything. So the Jets have issues, especially defensively, and especially being able to close out games. And Sam Donald playing well is not going to necessarily fix
0: I would love to know what Tremaine Johnson had to say about that penalty, but apparently he didn't feel like talking to you guys. Yeah, total lack of accountability for a guy who's got $34
1: million up front and is going to get $45 million probably over the first three years of his contract, 2018 through 2020, uh, and has not performed well overall this season. He's done all right in spot, but overall he's not, he's not earned his money. And he had that pass interference penalty on the third 10. It was like a 35-year penalty. It was definitely a penalty. But uh, everybody else stuck around the locker room and talked. Uh, And Jermaine Johnson walked right by a crowd of reporters and wouldn't answer any questions. That's the first time that's happened this year with anybody in this locker room. It was the game where Jamal Adams left the locker room. I can't remember what game it was, but like, if you're talking about a situation where reporters, like, want to talk to a guy, and, you know, because he was involved in a specific end of moment game, and that wasn't the case for Adams in that game when he went up to the locker room, which, you know, is a cap that you should, should never do. Uh, but he's been accountable almost for the most part this year. All these guys are accountable after games. They all say. One, one player last week, and I won't say who, he's like, I don't want to talk. And the PR guy kind of said something to him, and he turned around and he talked. And and he was apologetic for being so for bristling at, at a reporter. You know, reporters, he's like, sorry. And, when I, like, and I told him, I said, I told him He's in the interview. I mean, this is the first time I can think of, I don't know a lot. This doesn't happen typically in the NFL all that much. I mean, guys are accountable and they have to talk at their games or else they're fine. Um, and I guess people can say reporters are being crappy about it. I don't really care. But, like, if, sorry, but, like, do you want your $72 million quarterback to be accountable or not accountable? Do you want to. Say and answer questions along with his teammates, or do you want him to believe and let his teammates to answer questions? What is a better sign for the health of your team? I don't know. I think the question pretty much answers itself. So, uh, yeah, he bolted, and he didn't, he, you know, he didn't talk. And, uh, you know, he had another, um, uh, poor moment for him, I think. I mean, obviously, what matters more is how he played, plays, and he didn't play well today, and he hasn't played well overall this season. And, they just are stuck with this guy through 2020 because if you look at the contract structure um you know they could save three million dollars by cutting them after 2019 but they have to eat, i think like a 12 million dollar debt cap hit or 11 million dollar debt cap hit um because they pay them so much money so this really a you know, it's a three-year contract that amounts to 45 million dollars total this is a third bad big contract that microcadion has given out and all are I think Congress they rolled all their dad. But do didn't do all to remain Johnson. Now, Johnson can correct things and get himself a right You know, he plays great next season. That was, you know, maybe people won't remember this. They certainly won't remember that he left the locker room without talking. That's a more, you know, look, just small potatoes compared to how a guy plays. But when you're playing poorly and you're in head late, situation like he was in a penalty, and you don't talk, and you're a high-paid veteran, and you leave your teammates to talk, it's a bad luck. And I don't think anyone can argue
0: that it's not. No question about it. And at least if Tremaine Johnson were smart, he would come out and claim that he had some sort of injury he had to attend to, to try and save face. At least that's what I would do. Although it sounds like there wasn't much going on in the injury realm for the Jets at the moment, right? Yeah,
1: I guess his only injury was a bruised ego. I'm not not really sure if it would have hurt him. Let's just stand around and just blandly answer questions, all of us, But whatever. I mean, he was plenty happy to stand around last week and talk, or a couple weeks ago when he, before when he talked, played well. But, uh, but yeah, no injuries at all really for the Jets. The significance in the same few packers got things up. Not sure yet about Quincy in minimum for the finale. Uh, I'm sure he wants to get out there and pull one more game on film. Being a contract year, it's been a rough year for him, uh, because of those injuries. But he played well when he's been out there. So, uh, I, I'm sure he'd love to get back. I don't know if the captain, for a fellow who team for him as well.
0: Real quickly, Daryl, before we move on to the big rumors that are going on surrounding the Jets' coaching situation, which I'm sure didn't exactly sit well with Todd Bowles, on top of the fact that he was animated about the officiating in this game, the Jets, despite losing this game, ended up dropping in the draft position a little bit.
1: Yeah, they entered the game third in the draft order. The Niners also lost, and uh, so the Jets and Niners are there uh, at 4-11, but... Strength of schedule changes every week because it's based on the records of your opponents, so that changes every week. So every week, the record of every opponent the Jets have played is going to change. So the Jets and Niners are are paper thin close for the for the third and fourth spot, with the Niners being third, Jets are fourth. Uh, So the Jets did drop because the Niners' strength of schedule is slightly weaker right now than the Jets. So the team with a slightly weaker strength of schedule. Which means the lower, the worst winning percentage of the opponent so on that schedule. Uh, gets a preference. So it means essentially that you are worse against a worse schedule, if that makes sense. So, so the Niners are three, the Jets four, the Raiders two, and the NP, the three and 12, uh, Cardinals are one. So the Raiders play Monday night. If they win, they drop into that four and 11 trio of teams with the, the Jets Raiders. And, uh, 49ers. So, but if the Raiders do win on Monday night, that, that would bode go well for the Jets. I think that it would look, looks like, based on the strength schedule, how things look, so, the Jets would be back up to three, the Raiders would go to two, and I think the Niners would go to five. Or the, or the Raiders would go to five, the Niners would go to two, the Jets would go to three. So they would be at three, where they were entering week 16. So, uh, but let's see what happens on Monday night first. Uh, as of right now, the Jets are four. I mean, least, I don't know how much breath you and I have wasted talking about this stuff, but like the bottom line is, uh, if you're in the top five, six, seven, eight, four, two, three, and eight, you should be able to get a good player if you have a competent GM. So, <laughs> like, and yes, a little luck helps, but, uh, but you can draft a good or a bad player if you look, you know, look at past drafts or you have gone over and over and over. You can draft a good or bad player at those spots in the, in the top of the draft. And uh, so we'll see. Where would Aaron, Aaron Donald draft I looked this up today. 13th or something like that? guy has got 19 staff. He had three yeah. staffs today. Unbelievable. He's a great player. Todd Gurley, another guy from the Rams. Drafted Tampa. Maybe you guys have over that one, too. So, yeah, you don't have to draft third. It's going to draft fifth instead of third. It's not the
0: end of the world. Darrell Rivas picked 14th. I think he did okay.
1: Yeah, that's another good one. Yep, exactly.
0: So the Jets are right now keeping a close eye on the San Francisco 49ers. But it turns out they're keeping a close eye on their former head coach as well. A report from Pro Football Talk that the Jets are working to potentially try and contact Jim Harbaugh about their coaching vacancy once Todd Bowles is presumably let go at the end of the season. Also another report by Pro Football Talk, this time Pro Football Talk's Mike Florio on the NBC Sunday Night Football Show saying that the Ravens may have said that Harbaugh is staying as a way to let teams know that they're not letting him go and that if they want him, they have to give up some sort of draft compensation. Rumors are the Jets would be one of the teams that could be involved for his services if the Ravens are willing to entertain offers. So both Harbaugh brothers could potentially be in play for the Jets. What is your early sense on this, Daryl? So I'm you
1: First of all, uh, yeah, you'd you have to trade a pick for him. Um, and what, so say that, I think he'd be a great option for the Jets. Now, they don't have a second round pick. Would they be able to get him for just a third rounder, or do they have to throw in something in the 2020 draft in addition to a third rounder in 2019? Who would be I to give away a top five pick for him? Uh, I think he would be a very good candidate. Then there's the possibility that the Ravens actually do want to keep him, and then he does. And he does say and they value him more than a third-round pick. Uh, so, I think, yes, there's a possibility that he could be, quote-unquote, traded. I suppose that that's possible. It could happen. Um, so, I think that that, that, that was a point that uh, that Mike Floria was raising, that some teams might be interested. There's certainly going to be other teams besides the Jets who are looking for head coach. The Dolphins look like they could be looking for one as well. So, um that's an interesting one. You know, what would you give up for a, a coach in a trade? And the Jets, what I think you mentioned is for them, they got a, uh, this is before time. They got a fourth rounder for Herm Edwards, right? Yes. So they got a fourth rounder for Herm Edwards, and I would guess that they probably have to give up more to get Jim, or to get John Arbaugh. Um, so, then again, the Ravens could just, could just keep him. But I think John Arbaugh would be a very good option for the Jets. I had him as, number one on this recent rankings thing for preferential coaches, um, but, you know, maybe the Ravens want to keep him and uh, maybe the Jets don't want to give up when they would have to give up. Yeah, you know, they only would have to give up money if he was fired, but, uh, you know, he's not getting fired. So the smart move by the Ravens to hang on to him even if they really don't intend to hang on to him if the next sense. Uh. In terms of Jim Harbaugh, I mean, you and I before went not here talked about it for a long time, so I'll try to see if I can distill it. Um, in early December, he said on the record that he was staying in Michigan, which is alma mater. He's got a good situation; it's like seven million dollars a year, so he's in a good position, right? And so, you can't, from the Jets' perspective, you can't blame them for trying. Uh, go try to get a proven head coach, a guy who's won in college and the NFL, a guy who's an offensive fighting coach. Harbaugh, Jim Harbaugh checks all those boxes. Uh, so, from the Jets' perspective, why not give it a shot? It can't hurt. You don't get you don't. Nothing is hurt by it, just you're looking into it or taking a shot. Now, you have to pay him a lot of money, you make $7 million a year, you have to pay him probably $10 million. You also might have to give him full control over the organization, which is what he wanted in San Francisco before he left. So, in that case, you're going to have to basically fire or completely neuter Mike McChaggan. you just want to do that. Jim Harbaugh has never done a GM type role. He's never run an organization in terms of an NFL organization trust him to do that. Um, would Arbaugh be willing to come to the Jets if he didn't have full control? Uh, how much more money would it take on top of the 7000000 million you're making for the Jets to get up? Uh, and then there's the fact that, you know, the Jets is not, are not a sure-thing situation. Yeah, Sam Donald's is promising, but yeah, they are a lot of pieces away, it looks like. It would be a risk. You know, wouldn't he want to leave his alma mater and burn a bridge? In a, in a, ridiculous way, considering what he said earlier this month, because the National Signing Day, so i the purpose of the college football no longer happens in February. It happens in, in, uh, I guess late November, early December, right? The early signing day is the actual signing day now. So he says before this, before that, that he was staying in Michigan and then all these rumors about him leaving are supply that come up around signing day, right? So, he signed all these kids and then they gonna leave in early January? And is all Alma completely destroying his reputation there. Uh, the place where he's got a good thing going, he could be a coach for a long time, he gets a lot of talent. Urban Meyer's leaving Ohio State, got a chance to beat Ohio State again, got a chance to build a national championship together. Is he gonna leave that situation and completely burn that bridge and come to a team where it's not a sure thing that he's gonna come to a ready-made winner? Uh, you know, why would Harbaugh want to come back? I mean, he's already lost in a Super Bowl, right? So, the next destination for that comes out the NFL should be a place where you could win multiple Super Bowls if you're gonna burn that type of bridge in Michigan. I don't for the Jets perspective, you don't blame them for trying. For Arbell's perspective, I think it would be completely insane on so many levels to do to do it. Um unless the Jets give him full organizational control, which as I said, could be a little bit of a risk considering he's never done it before. So that's my I tried to distill it as much as I could, but I think that's my thoughts of where, it, where, it, where all that stands with
0: Jim Harbaugh. Yeah, that's pretty much how I feel about it. I think Harbaugh would be crazy to do it unless, and I'm going to take it a step further than you, daryl because even with full organizational control, he's got such a sweet gig at Michigan, and he makes so much money. It's his alma mater. Unless something goes completely haywire there, he's pretty much guaranteed a job there for as long as he wants it. So I would say that if I'm Harbaugh, the only way I would even consider doing it is if I got some sort of small equity piece in the team. I doubt the Jets are going to be willing to do that. But listen, like you said, and I've said this many times, I'm of the mindset of make them tell you no. So if there's a guy that you want, even if he seems unobtainable... On the surface, go ask him, make him your best offer, and if he says no, he says no. As far as John Harbaugh, I feel the same way, but I will say this. As much as his brother Jim, I'm sure, does not have any desire to answer to Mike Mcagnan. I can't imagine that John Harbaugh, who would also have many, many options, were he available, is going to want to answer To Mike McCagnon either. So that's a situation where if you even get permission to talk to Harbaugh and facilitate some sort of trade in order to convince him to come here, you'd probably have to start with, okay, we'll get rid of Mike McCagnon and let you pick your own guy or give you full control or whatever it is. And then there's also the price that you would have to pay the Ravens. I suppose you could make a case that it'd be worth it to give up maybe one of those extra third rounders this year, or even a number two next year. I don't know, whatever you think the reasonable price is. I think, though, realistically looking at all the things that we said, both of them are long shots. That said, I would look into both of them strongly and see what it would take because you got nothing to lose. And that's really where I'm at with it. I think it's unrealistic, but give it a shot. Yeah, I think that's a good
1: point on the trade thing. It's not like when a player gets traded and he has to go to a good team. Like, it's not like the Ravens can just trade... John Harbaugh, and he's forced into servitude with the Jets. you a good Like, he would have to want to be employed by this team. Like, you know, I can't just, he's under contract guaranteed to get money from the Ravens. That's the, that's the thing. He's NFL head coaching contracts are guaranteed. The player contracts are not, largely. Uh, uh, but yeah, he would have to want to go to the place. Otherwise, he could just say, okay, well, just fire me and pay me the money if you don't want me around. And you're not going to get a draft back, so it can't. The Jets cannot force, or the Ravens cannot force John Harbaugh to go work for the Jets. So uh, that's a good point. Yeah, he, does he want to come work for Mike McAdams? Does he want his own control, uh, or would he rather work for a fresh start GM? Because I think, as we mentioned here, I did a little thing about why the job is originally attractive on Saturday, and you know, one of those things being Mike McAdams' contract is up after 2020, so he's got two years left in the contract going into. In the next season, number one, and then if you have in the next season, he could be gone. The new coach could be looking at coming in and coaching in one year under a GM who quote unquote contributed to hiring him. And I'm sure if McCagan stays on, some stay in the hiring. And then, then, he, then maybe he's working for a new GM in 2020. So, there's you're not going to ever be a perfect situation for a coaching, uh, for a coach to come into when a team is bad enough that they're losing and they're firing a coach, right? The previous coach. There's always going to be some problems. So. Uh, I think you just have to look at it as a candidate and say, where's the grass greener? And quite frankly, I don't see how John Arbaugh, I think he could be very selective, right? So why would he come to a situation where, yes, there's a quarterback, but there's just a lot of problems that not just of the roster?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I will say, though, it's going to be something that'll be interesting for us to talk about. So in that sense, I'm glad that these rumors broke right around now because... Once the regular season is over, the hot stove for the coaching candidates is going to kick into high gear. We will have lots to talk about, presumably including the Harbaugh brothers. But before then, we've got one last game that's coming up at Gillette Stadium against New England. The finale on Sunday. We'll talk about that on Friday when we do our pregame report. Daryl, thanks so much for hopping on. And before we get to where people can find you or where they can read your work in Matt Stoblachowski, I just wanted to say... Again, I'm really glad that you began doing these podcasts with me. It's been so much fun. And more importantly than that, Daryl, Merry Christmas to you, your wife, your parents, your entire family. It's been a pleasure getting to talk to you two times a week during the season, and I hope your holiday season is outstanding.
1: Yeah, thank you, Scott. Appreciate it so much. Thank you for having me on here. It's been always fun. Ten years old, Merry Christmas to you and your family, and to everyone out there, thanks for listening. Thanks for reading. Merry Christmas to everybody, so... Uh yeah, uh, there's one more game left. Crazy season gone by fast, but certainly a lot of action to talk about. Come, come December thirty first, when Todd Bowles will be fired and uh, the coaching search will begin.
0: Absolutely, but before then, we've got the holidays. We've got the Patriots game. It's all going to be a lot of fun, and there's going to be plenty to talk about. Especially now with these Harbaugh rumors, they can hear about it, of course, on these podcasts, but also they can read about it. With you and Matt Stablkowski up at NJ.com, what do you have planned down the pike over the next couple days with the holidays and all?
1: Yeah, we've got a few things, uh, one of them being, one of the to become a playoff game in 2019 is obviously a big checklist, so we've got that coming up later in this week, um, and, uh, that marijuana survey that we talked about last time we spoke, uh, about, uh, where, where, uh, what players said about legalized weed in New Jersey. Uh, and, and a few other items, sort of forward-looking, as the Jets uh, try to turn themselves into a winner. And then that's Matt, Matt, I think, should have by now probably put up something on the uh, on the Jim Harbaugh uh, stuff that Pro Football Talk reported. So, and remember, I mean, like, it just the report was just that the Jets are going to try to talk to uh, Jim Harbaugh, and does, you know. They can, they can try all they want if mean, he doesn't want the job, <laughs> or
0: demands, or, or, if his demands are considered unreasonable by ownership. So, uh, if you go on nj.com slash yes, check all that out. Thanks, Daryl. Looking forward to talking to you on Friday again. Merry Christmas. And thank you for listening. Merry Christmas to you and your family as well. From all of us here at TurnOnTheJets.com. In fact, and we're going to have a very special Christmas Day episode where you're going to hear from all of us at TurnOnTheJets.com and what we would give to you, the Jets fans, as a Christmas present if we were Santa and could deliver any present to you. So looking forward to that. In the meantime... Don't forget to visit Daryl and Matt over at NJ.com. A lot of great Jets content to get you through this holiday season. And for all the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.